0: Hey, this is Jerry Aiken, pastor at Pierce Chapel in Columbus, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, wherever you may be. I hope that you find the Word presented here engaging, informative, and challenging in your walk with Christ. Please check us out online at piercechapel.com. Matthew 27, verses 15 through 23 tells us, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. "'Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, "'his wife sent word to him, "'Have nothing to do with that righteous man, "'for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream.'" Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, "'Which of the two do you want me to release from you?' And they said, "'Barabbas.'" Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I remember very vividly this one September evening when I was about 20 years old. I was preparing for work the next day, getting my clothes out, setting my alarm clock, but I was especially excited this night because the next day was going to bring something very exciting along with it. You see, I had just recently joined a band probably about four or five months earlier with some of my best friends. And we had played in and out of bands for years together. And we always had this dream of of playing in a band together and and having a lot of success. And, uh, and, And we had recently gotten together and we had formed a set list of songs we were comfortable with. And we started booking some shows. Particularly on the campus at Columbus State University at a few different events that were going to be taking place that fall. But not only that, we were friends with the editor of the school newspaper, The Saber. And so he did a write up on us and took pictures and everything. It was going to be like a a three or four page spread in the CSU newspaper about our band. And that was going to come out the next morning. So I was excited. I went to bed excited on that September night. And when I woke up, I knew I was going to have to get up extra early because I had an hour drive into work. I worked uh, in Cottonton, Alabama as a security guard at the the Mead Paper Mill. So I left early so I could stop and pick up some copies of the the CSU newspaper because I was so excited. And I was going to show that to everybody when I got to work. Well, that morning I woke up and uh, that morning was cool. It was not too cold, but it was cool enough to wear a jacket. I remember walking out, getting in my car on the morning of September 11th, 2001. And as I got into my car and I cranked it up, I had been listening to the, the Pete Floyd album, The Wall, the night before. <laughs> And so I cranked it up, and the first thing that played through my speakers was the lyrics Goodbye, cruel world, I'm leaving you today. And I thought, what a terrible way to start the day. And I turned it off. I said, The world is not cruel. This is a good day. This is exciting. The world has opportunity, and I'm living into it. I'm going to get that newspaper. This is a good day. I was excited. And I stopped and I got the newspaper and I drove on to work and I was walking around showing it to some of my friends and co workers. And I don't need to tell you what happened a few hours later. All of a sudden, that newspaper didn't matter. The world was changed on the morning of September 11th. And if you were alive back then, you remember it didn't just change that day and that morning, it changed the way we lived our lives afterwards. Because that day was a reminder that the world is cruel. The world can be a very dark and frightening place. The world is full of uncertainty. The world is broken. And the world is full of broken people. That morning signaled a change our lives changed. The way we do everything has changed. Even today when you go to the airport, the, the procedures you have to go through are all in place because of what happened there. National security was raised. We lost trust in humanity that day. Sudden change is the most alarming. When you think everything's great and then just like that, everything is turned upside down. Because we're left scrambling. Well, what do we do from here? I wasn't expecting this. And maybe you've experienced something like that in your life in another way. An unexpected trauma or tragedy has interrupted the course that you were on. And that sudden change is so alarming and it's a reminder of the broken world we live in. We want to feel so secure and so sure and and like everything is going according to our plan, but we know that everything can be changed at a moment's notice. I use the example of September 11th because it's something that all of us who were alive back then remember and know well And we can look back and say, yes, that was definitely a day where things changed suddenly. Jesus experienced a sudden change during Holy Week. Just as we started off this service, bright, happy, the children singing beautiful, waving the palm branches, shouting Hosanna, and then the tone shifted. We started out singing happy hallelujahs, and then we closed out our last song on the minor keys, singing those broken, helpless hallelujahs, because that's the world we live in. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how things are going to change, but Jesus knew what that was like. On Holy Week, he rode into Jerusalem with the crowd shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were calling him the king of the Jews. And then by the end of the week, that same crowd was saying, crucify him. Get that guy out of here. We don't want him free. Put him up on the cross so that not only is he dead, but he's publicly humiliated and we can all witness it. And Jesus knew what it was like to be broken. He knew what it was like from day one. He knew it was coming. He knew what it was like that week. Even as he rode in, he knew what was in store for him. He knew that people are fickle because people are broken by their very human nature, broken by sin, and that eventually they would turn on him. But before we... Demonize or villainize this crowd. Let's realize we have hindsight. We can look back at their actions and say, what were they thinking? Why did they do that? Why did they turn on him so quickly? Well, first of all, let's look at some of the reasons why maybe they did. Jesus came in. They were expecting a political leader. They were expecting a political savior, somebody to be king and lead them out of uh, oppression from Rome. And what's the first thing he does after that? He goes into the temple and starts turning over tables and driving people out and saying, this house of God, you've turned into something else. Blasphemy is happening here. You've wielded your own power in this place that is God's house. This is not a house of prayer anymore. This is not a house of worship. You've turned it into something else. You've used it for your own gain. You've used it for your own ideals, your own power. And he said, this is not your place to destroy. This is my father's house. Well, that didn't sit right with a lot of people. They said, who does this guy think he is? Yes, yesterday we were celebrating him coming into Jerusalem, but now he's telling us how we should worship, how we should be uh, doing the church. I mean, who does he think he is? They were not prepared for Jesus to challenge them in the way that he had and so that doubt was planted in their mind maybe maybe we don't want this as much as we thought well then they started congregating and groupthink happened the power of groupthink is real you can get around people that start saying something and you hear it enough time and it becomes an echo chamber and you start Saying the same thing, yeah. I I see where you're saying, what you're saying. I see where you're going with this. I agree, and they all started agreeing. Yeah, we don't need Jesus. In fact, let's get rid of him. Let's have him arrested. And that's the warning for us in all of this. We are broken people, just like the crowd was made up of broken people. We, too, will also resist challenge. When Jesus comes in and says, clean out the temple, clean out your heart, I need to take control. And then we are prone to resist because we want the power. And then we get around other people who make us feel better about resisting. And we become even more ingrained in our resistance and in our rebellion We can journey with Jesus to the cross through the season of Lent. We talk a lot about that, journeying with Jesus. We can journey with him throughout our lives. We can go on this spiritual journey where we are constantly growing and being shaped and and molded into a more perfect disciple, a more perfect follower. And we can keep making progress on that road. And all it takes is one moment of us turning around and we can fall back down the hill. And that happens to all of us. As part of our brokenness. I remember when I was probably about 12 years old, 13 years old maybe, uh, I used to enjoy riding my bicycle in the neighborhood. And there was a part of the neighborhood I would go to and and there there wasn't much traffic at all. You could just kind of ride around on those streets uh, just with no no consequence whatever nothing to worry about and, uh, and it was enjoyable but I also knew that when I came back home there was this big hill that I had to pedal up to get back home and I hated that part in fact it kept me out riding my bike later than, than I probably should have sometimes because I didn't want to go just yet and pedal up that steep hill well there was this one particular day where I decided you know what When I get to the top of the hill, I'm just going to turn around and come flying down it as fast as I can. Just chase that thrill for a moment. Yes, I'll have to pedal back up, and it's going to be twice as much work, but I'm going to enjoy the thrill of coming back down that hill. And so I did. I pedaled up the hill. My legs were burning, y'all. My heart was pounding. It was good for me. It was very good for me. And home was just on the other side. But I got to the top, and I said, all right, let's have a little fun. And I turned around, and I just came flying down that hill. About halfway down the hill, I realized I was in trouble. (laughs) If I put on the brakes to try to slow down, the bike was just going to throw me over the edge of it. But I was going so fast that I couldn't control the handlebars, and I was going to lose control and be thrown off. So in a moment of sheer panic, I just did the most sensible thing and took my hands off the handlebars altogether. (laughs) And I was thrown off the bicycle. And I fell on my tailbone, and it hurt so bad. And I got up, and I tried to walk. It took me a while before I was able to walk. I couldn't sit on my bicycle after that. I had to pick it up and walk it all the way back up that hill. I didn't tell my parents about it. First of all, I was afraid I'd get in trouble. Second, I didn't want to go to the doctor. That's something a lot of men have in common, I understand, and that started with me at an early age, apparently. But I didn't want to go to the doctor and be looked at and told that I had broken something. But I very well may have because for the next year, it seemed like every time I sat down or stood up, I was in a lot of pain. It took a long time to heal from that. That one moment after all this progress, home is just on the other side of the hill. That one moment of turning around and falling back down the hill broke me. And it's the same with our lives. We journey with Jesus We make progress in our discipleship. We grow in our relationship with God. And then he challenges us in a way that we're not comfortable with. Or we get around people who influence us. Or maybe we just chase the thrill of something we shouldn't. And just like that, we come back down the hill. And we're broken. And that's part of being broken people In a broken world. But the miracle of all of this is Jesus knew that. God knew that when He sent His Son into the world. He knew He was sending His Son into a broken world for broken people. And so when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and He heard the crowd shouting and singing, He knew what was going to happen. And that night as he gathered in the the upper room with his disciples and they shared the gifts of bread and wine, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He knew that he was about to be broken. He was about to wear our brokenness so that he could heal our brokenness. And when he was in the garden later that night, he prayed so earnestly and so fervently that he was sweating blood. And he said, Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way at all that this cup can be passed from me, let it happen. And he said, but not my will, but yours. He knew that he was about to be broken. He knew that that crowd was about to turn on him, just as we do. We proclaim Jesus as King, as Lord, as Savior, and then we participate in putting him on the cross. We participate in breaking Jesus because we are broken, and broken people break other people. But again, the miracle is Jesus knew this, and he willingly came to experience it to share in our brokenness, to plead out in front of that very crowd. And even as they jeered and scoffed, he looked out and from that place of brokenness, he said, Father, forgive them. Heal them of their brokenness. They don't know, they don't understand what they're doing. You see, our imperfect journey with Jesus will include missteps and stumbles. There will be moments where we resist him because we don't like the way he challenges us. There will be moments where we resist him because those around us are resisting. There will be moments where we resist him because we want to chase the thrill of something else. There will be times where we hail Jesus as king and then turn around and crucify him with our actions. There will be times where we anoint him, and then there will be times where we participate in breaking Jesus. But God has allowed it. He has allowed his one and only son to come into this broken world and suffer for the sake of broken people. And he has taken our brokenness upon himself so that we may be forgiven so that we may be made whole. Thank you again for tuning in to our podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and check us out online at piercechapel.com. And now may you know the peace, the power, and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Go to love, go to serve, go in peace. Amen.